Nyan celebrates his 100th birthday. Monster Bash confirmed as the third remake. Team Pinball revealed their first game. Hi and welcome to Pinball Magazine and Pinball News' free monthly audio podcast in which we discuss the pinball news of last month. My name is Jonathan Houston. And I'm Martin Ayub. And we're here to talk about what happened during the wonderful month of July 2018. Right. And uh, despite it being the middle of summer and a time when traditionally not very much happens, actually quite a lot happened, didn't it, Jonathan? Um, I, uh, I was looking at what we need to discuss and I was impressed with what quite a long list it is. And as since um, many people prefer short podcasts, let's not get into depth too much, but just go with the headlines and then see how it goes. And let's try to keep this one under two hours, okay? Yeah, absolutely. That, that suits uh, me, and I'm sure it suits uh, everyone listening. Okay, so let's dive straight in with the very first headline then. Wayne Nyan with his 100th birthday. Yes, that was July 29th, and I'm uh, very pleased to say that, well, first of all, Wayne celebrated his birthday. He was in the company of uh, quite a few uh, pinball enthusiast uh, friends. Um, some people from the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda mm -hmm. came down. Um, Will White came down. I uh, actually I, I called Wayne on his birthday to uh, congratulate him, and I uh, talked to Will White for uh, for a little bit, who was very impressed with the um, preview that I sent of Pinball Magazine number five. Um, I sent that to Wayne Nyan so he could see that what I have been working on, and uh, Wayne was very impressed. He was like, "Wow, it's like a book." I'm not kidding. <laughs> Um, and uh, Will White said the same, and I think um, uh, what Wayne told me that everybody was just very enthusiastic about the book, and uh, I should be expecting a couple of orders from people who were visiting the party. So great! And uh, was that a um, a pre-production preview then, or, yes. or was it just just the article, about, or just a section about about uh, about Wayne? Well, that's the majority of the magazine anyway. But um, uh, basically, I printed like the cover story, the part uh, done by Gordon Hesse, and the part done by me. Which there, there's two parts to the cover story, and that was like 250 pages, something like that. Um, most of the side articles I did not include. And this was just a, um, basically, uh, I went to a, a copy shop, um, so it's black and white photocopies printed on two sides and uh, threw a plastic wrapper around that and that was it, you know, so. But it looked, okay. uh, looked very nice. Usually I make a test print like that to see how photos come out when you look at them printed uh, on paper and I still need to do that uh, once I have all the side articles done and I'm still working on a few but we're getting there and uh, um, the thing is uh, well life keeps happening and uh, interfering with my uh, my deadlines yeah life hey <laughs> who needs it uh, <laughs> But going back to um, to Wayne, then he had a pretty good um, celebratory party there. By the looks of it, I saw some pictures from the event where there was a nice, uh, really excellent, actually birthday cake presented to him. And a, uh, 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 I thought one, uh, I think he got an award from the Pacific Pinball Museum. He did indeed. Yeah. yeah. With um, 
I was going to say, and there's also a, uh, I think a sort of like citation from uh, from the uh, Arkansas le- legislature um, c- congratulating him on his 100th birthday and um, naming a number of his uh, many achievements, including um, the donation of his Spirit of 76 game to the uh, Pacific Pinball Museum. Oh, they already have games enough. Why would they need that one? <laughs> well, well, there's always that one more special one, isn't there, to add to the collection? Yeah, well, okay. And who knows, perhaps they'll have a starring role in the uh, in the next um, next show in, in, in Lodi next, yeah, next but if year. They, if, if, they get the, if they take that game away from him, then what's he going to do at home? The pinball game that he has at home is the only thing that sort of keeps him going to the garage and play some pinball. Mm. If they take that game away as well, what's going to happen? The guy is going to be watching TV in his chair and that's it. <laughs> no, I'm well, serious. They shouldn't take well, that game away. Well, he donated it, presumably. So, um, But I, I don't know whether they've actually got it yet or whether that's kind of uh, in perpetuity. Well, I, I hope they let him keep it until he really no longer needs it. Mm. Well, we'll see what happens about that. But uh, the important thing was to was to mark such an amazing milestone, um, reaching 100 and uh, and celebrating his his career in pinball um, in such a such an impressive and um, an enjoyable way. By from what I saw of, of everything that uh, that happened there, right. So, and uh, well, if people don't know, in the upcoming pinball magazine number five, you can read all about Wayne's accomplishments in the industry of pinball and way beyond. Excellent. Okay. When I we finally go to probably print. know about that. Yeah. So. Okay, moving on then. So, this uh, this past month, um, after much stalling and, and cancelled announcements, Chicago Gaming finally admitted, <laughs> probably better to say that than announced, but they admitted that uh, Monster Bash was indeed their third remake title. Right. And it came about in a rather unusual way, not their, not their traditional way of announcing games. No. Uh, for the first two, anyway. Um, do, you want to, do you want to describe exactly what happened there, Jonathan? Well, what basically happened is that they, they, they posted on, I think their Facebook it was, that they were in the process of getting uh, or the certifications for UL and CE for their third remake. And then, I don't remember who it was, but someone on Pinside started to uh, look up their uh, UL certifications that were listed for Chicago Gaming, and there it was printed clearly, Monster Bash in three different models. Um, so then the cat was out of the bag, and uh, the next day, Chicago Gaming um, probably did the best damage control that they could do, basically by admitting, okay, you guys, you caught us, and uh, we're confirming that Monster Bash is indeed the third remake. And uh, the, the hoping that the excitement uh, for the game will still be as big once they are ready to show um, the game with the extras that they are currently working on. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a sort of a lame way of uh, announcing it rather than uh, sort of any kind of... I thought it was rather uh, amusing, kind of actually. It was, it was amusing, and you almost wonder whether the, that kind of thing was, was intended. Uh, but... You know, it still lacked the sort of punch 
of uh, of a big reveal of, of the game. Just what they wanted to do, of course, all along, is why they they claimed that they they were uh, delaying the announcement because they wanted to have all the games ready to display. And in fact, uh, they haven't got any of the games ready to display at this time. Right. But at least, okay, so we know it's coming, but we still don't know what the access will be for the um, the limited edition and the, um, and the uh, special edition, or special edition, whatever they call it. So, yeah. of course, we know there will be the big color display like we've seen on Attack from Mars. That shouldn't be a surprise. Um, but then the question is, what are they planning to do for a topper? I guess yeah. that's it. Um, I'm not sure whether they... W- I don't think they will be enhancing gameplay in any ways. Um, although they could, probably, but I have no idea. But We'll just have to wait and see when they, uh, to, when they are ready to reveal uh, what actions yeah. they have been working on. And of course, they have been raising the bar pretty high so far, so they better come up with something else. It's going to be disappointing to anybody. Yeah, well, one company who were in a position to reveal their their game uh, was a was a brand new company based in uh, South Wales, and uh, they are co- well. The company is called JOR Games, and the brand with which they uh, will be producing their pinball games and including their first one in this uh, is uh, called Team Pinball. Right, and and you and I were both there. Um, what was it, two weeks ago? Yeah, that was two weeks ago. Um, wow. And, uh, I'm, I'm, thank you to, uh, I have to say thank you to uh, Team Pinball for uh, flying me in to be part of the uh, presentation. Um, so you and I, uh, we both played the game. Um, what was very impressive is this is a startup company and they already have 10 games ready to ship. Yeah, indeed. There was uh, when I first went there um, a couple of months back, and uh, sort of wandered in, or they showed me into the room where they've been building these games. Or I thought they'd just been designing the games, but then to go in, they open the door, and there's there's ten almost you know, mechanically complete games sitting there in in, a, in two rows. Uh, it's quite a sight when you didn't even know these games existed, and um, you know they they do look very. No, very, very nicely finished. You no, know, the artwork is is, is uh, the quality of the printing is very good. The yeah. mechanical construction of the game looks good. I like the artwork too. I have to admit that it looks yeah, uh, totally custom nice. artwork. It's a, it's a very interesting approach for pinball to use uh, artwork in such a um, um, yeah. I don't know what the, the style is to describe it, but I think it it looks good. So. So let's um, let's just backtrack and, and mention that the game is is called The Mafia. Um, it is a uh, an EM style, it's a modern take on an EM style game. So so it's single level playfield, no ramps, um, no real big toys on the game, just basic um, what we consider staples of, of most games these days. You no know, pop bumpers, spinners, or a spinner, um, stand up targets. Two flippers, two slingshots, uh, three top rollover lanes. Um, Single ball, no multi ball. Yeah, no multi ball. Yeah, it's um, it's a real throwback game. It does have a captive ball, though. It does indeed. Yes, and uh, yeah, orbit lanes left and right. Um, yeah, that's about uh, it. Yeah, LED lighting throughout the the playfield is. 
Uh, the artwork on the play hall is actually done on, a, on an overlay, um, which uh, rather than printing directly onto the wood, right. which um, should, in theory, give them increased durability and make it easy, more easily replaceable if they need to. Right. It actually comes on a printed sheet which just uh, which has a uh, protective cover over it. So in some pictures you might see a kind of a little wrinkling somewhere where they've they've cut the protective cover. But the idea being that uh, when it, the game arrives at, at the customer's house, they can pull the the protective sheet off the playfield, and there it is, pristine, with no marks or, or dust or anything on it. Right. Uh, all that can be done in the factory if that's what the buyer prefers. Right. So, and um, no, I was very impressed with um, with their effort, and especially um, I'm not that much of a technical guy, but the whole thing is um, basically driven by a Raspberry Pi and a single PCB that they designed themselves. And that's basically any, everything the game needs. Um, but yeah, still, pretty but much. Still you've got a power supply. Yeah, but still you get all the modern features like, well, well we, you got audio and um, uh, music playing and all that, and, and voice calls. Um, you have the RGB LEDs uh, throughout the whole playfield. So apparently it and, doesn't and, take and that much the, to, to create a platform that supports that. Oh, and also there's a 10.1-inch there's a LCD display in the back box, which the Raspberry Pi also drives. Right. So, um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a very simple processor. You no, know, it's ubiquitous, readily available if anything goes wrong with it to replace it, and cheap to replace and just a, and as you said, a single driver board to uh, to deal with the inputs, outputs, and um, drive the the the, uh, the lamps and the, and the solenoids. Right. So uh, the game only has a single speaker. I should mention that in the in the base of the cabinet, no back box speakers. But uh, the back box is where the LCD display is. Right. So um, I played the game honestly. Um, Maybe because it was the only game playing that I was playing, uh, but the audio sounded just fine to me. It wasn't. Uh, I wasn't missing like speakers in the back box. No, I thought it was maybe um, sort of lacking a little bit in the top end, but um, but not too bad um, considering the. Uh, you, know, you were able to hear everything that was going on without any problem. Right, um, and the game does have a soundtrack of its own, which they sourced out to a company in America, and. Uh, it, uh, you might be more familiar with what style to call it. I would call it like this piano sort of... Uh, yeah, sort of ragtime, I would, I would call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, the, when we played it, there were, there were a limited number of voice calls, but more were being recorded that very weekend. Right. And uh, I think you had some, some input as well in, into possible voice calls that could go into the game. Right. So... Um, uh, with the game being themed around the Mafia, what they did was they re recorded a lot of famous voice calls from uh, classic Mafia movies or TV shows or whatever um, that, that sort of get an appearance in the game in a sort of funny way. So, so it's a, an original theme that is borrowing heavily from licensed themes, which in a way is amusing, I would say. Um, so yeah, I, you're almost uh, trying to name the, the the movie or the or the TV series that the, the, the voice call came from, right? So, um, but but 
I like that kind of stuff. It does, um, while the game does not remind me at all of something like Medieval Madness, that humor of trying to use sort of such voice calls, that sort of does remind me to like a game that, that, that also used to do that. And uh, well, Medieval Madness sort of reminds of Monty Python, so in a sense, you can see where that Comparison is coming from, although it is completely two different day, uh, two different games. But but I do like the uh, their approach to that. So yeah, and they've they've come out. They produced you know the first ten production games, and said you no, know, here they are. If you want to buy them, buy them, and then if you buy them, we make some more. Uh, they're not taking any money up front. Uh, there's no pre-orders in any of this. You can see the game. They'll be taking it to a number of pinball shows this autumn. Um, certainly the UK pinball, um, UK pin fest, they will be there. I know that. Right. And I think there's some other shows they're going to. I think there's a show in France. They're also taking, taking, uh, the mafia too. Right. Um, beyond that, I don't know. It's probably, you know, a little early for them to, to make the arrangements for shows further afield. Right. Uh, but who knows? Maybe they'll end up in, maybe they'll, they'll have some games for expo. Maybe they'll have, have something next year. In, in the US, um, but um, yeah, well, um, it's a it's, an, it's certainly an interesting game and it's an interesting design and um, probably unexpected. I think in in many ways, you know, uh, you think any any new company coming out now with a pinball game would will try and throw in all the bells and whistles and make it as as complex and uh, as full features as you possibly can, but um, they've started off. Um, as I said, they're, they're, they're um, walking before they start running with with their first game, and it's um, no the idea being it's a, it's a solid. Uh, what you see is what you get. Um, modern take on, a, on an EM game, and um, in, in that regard, I think they've they've achieved what they set out to do. Right. So um, it's an interesting take, and I hope that they um, will be successful. So that they can make a second game, which will be uh, more f uh, fully featured, so to speak. And um, I just hope that they get to do more pinball. That would be great. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, more pinball is always good. And uh, new ideas and new manufacturing techniques as well right. uh, come out of uh, new startup companies. Um, now, there are plenty, plenty of smaller companies out there and um, it's good to see another one add to that list and doing things in a, in a different way right um, so if we move on to uh, one of the bigger smaller companies <laughs> if, you, if you want to call it that Jersey Jack Pinball finally started production of Pirates of the Caribbean yes absolutely um, the first production games uh, were, were on the line and uh, presumably off the line as well when they were completed um, I haven't seen any pictures of the the finished games, so I haven't still haven't seen anything with the with a single disc in it yet. Uh, have you seen that? Well, I saw a picture of a game on the line, and it does have a single disc. Um, I have no idea whether the artwork. It wasn't detailed enough to see whether the artwork that or um, um, is as detailed as it was on the three discs. But uh, oh well, we'll have to see how that. Um, turns out once uh, once they're ready to show pictures 
Um, I still think it's a pity that it's no longer the three spinning discs because that was like the eye-catching thing uh, to the players. Although I understood that the, the design team figured that the eye-catcher on the game would be the, the rocking ship uh, with, the single, uh, with the second play field, but oh well. Um, mm. I'm still there, are, there are plenty of things on the play field, aren't there, still? So it's yeah, it, it is a a shame that that's not in there, and it was an innovative innovative feature that we hadn't seen on any other game. Right. Uh, but ultimately, it proved a little too innovative, and they couldn't have to get it to work. So, uh, so yes, we're back to the single disc. But yeah, there's well, there's a whole lot going on in that game. Um, so the loss of that one thing is not not too bad, although it is it obviously will detract from uh, from people's enjoyment or expectations of the game, but. Uh, but there is, you know, there's, uh, there's um, apart from the rocking ship, there's also, you know, the, the LCD display at the bottom with the compass. Um, and, you know, the, the disc is still a spinning disc. It just spins a different way now. Right. So um, it still will be interesting to see how uh, Jersey Jack Pimmel will move forward. I mean, um, obviously this game has been heavily delayed and uh, I'm not so sure whether they could keep the production line going all the time with just dialed in and uh, some Hobbits and Wizard of Oz games. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming, and it's just an assumption, that um, they really need to start cranking out pirate games to in order to um, uh, stay healthy as a company. Let's call it that. Oh, I, I, I assume that's definitely the case. Yes. Um, no, no. No company can really afford to have um, a game which doesn't sell. And um, Pirates has been around while it was launched, you know, um, almost a year ago now. Yeah, October last year. Mm. Yes, at Al Expo. Um, well, at least it was announced at that point and, and shown. shown. Yeah. Um, and, and here we are what are we, uh, 10 months later and the first games are going out, that's, uh, that's not really a sustainable model either. And I think everybody knows that. And they are certainly pushing forward with the plans to be much more um, in a position to, to ship games when they announce them. So I don't think we'll be seeing an announcement of, uh, of the next game at this year's Expo. Uh, I would be very surprised if they did. Then again, we already know what it's going to be, but that's a different, <laughs> a different story. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's knowing what it's what the title is and knowing what the game is. It's different things, of course. True. So, but uh, but congratulations to Jersey Jack for finally getting Pirates on the line. And now let's just hope that it will be a uh, a massive success and a fun game to play. Yeah, yeah. We look forward to seeing how the production version plays. Right. Okay. So, um, one of the other. I would say smaller, but bigger, smaller companies. Then, uh, as, as you call them, uh, what about Spooky Pinball? Because they they had some, I guess, bad news this this time. Um, I guess you could call it bad news. Um, this week in Pinball mentioned there was a bidding war going on for the um, Godzilla license, and uh, Charlie just addressed it in uh, the monthly. Spooky Pinball podcast, which I recommend everybody to check out as well. Go to spookypinball.com and you'll find it there. It's episode 101. Um, 
Well, what it basically came down to is that um, Charlie and Katie went to the uh, licensing expo in Las Vegas, where mm -hmm. they had a meeting with Toho, who um, is the license holder for uh, Godzilla. Um, apparently, in that meeting, they were interrupted by someone from Stern walking in unannounced and not being welcome to that meeting, of course. And um, Stern went after the Godzilla license as well, and basically Toho told um, Spooky at some point, like, sorry, but uh, we got another offer and we're going with that. Something like that happened. Um, and it was immediately, um, I think Robert Mueller from Deep Root did some researching uh, and he quickly found out that Stern Pimble was um, the party that secured the license. Um, what is interesting, uh, which Charlie also notes in his uh, podcast, is that Godzilla is not Iron Maiden or um, it's not Metallica or it's not Ghostbusters or Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not a big license world uh, 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 well, it's a worldwide known theme, but there's not any movies attached to it right now that are drawing in millions and millions of people, which is sort of what Stern usually um, uh, uses licenses. They need the audience, the, the familiar, familiarity of a certain license to appeal to millions and millions of people in order to sell thousands and thousands of games. Um, and here we're talking about a license that Spooky at best could have sold 500 games of, and I don't think Stern will do uh, a much better job. Um, Stern admitted that they got the license and they basically said, well, that's just business, which is a nice way of <laughs> saying, like, screw you. Yeah, basically. We just don't want you to have it, which is... Um, yeah, okay. They are in a position where they can do it, but it's not a nice um, gesture. Um, what actually was a nice gesture is that Charlie and his son Bug offered to uh, consult with Stern in order to make sure that the game uh, becomes a very good game. Um, I'm not sure whether Stern will take them up on that, but... Um, I think it's a nice gesture from them, and it shows them uh, certainly shows who is the bigger man. Um, I'm also well. You can still wonder, like, okay, sure, Stern gets the license, but it doesn't mean that they are going to make the game. I mean, there's always an excuse that you can say, like, oh, sorry, we didn't get to that or whatever. Uh, we they just took the license off the market in order to make sure that Spooky didn't get it. Hmm, that's. Uh that would be a, a, a rather unkind and un, unreasonable thing to do, but, yeah, but uh, I, don't, I, I don't think I don't think we have any evidence of Stern having done that in the past, have well, we? Um, I know there have been bidding wars between Stern and Jersey Jack. Uh, we haven't discussed them much, but um, obviously, uh, I think uh, certain. Uh, if I recall correctly, I think Star Wars was supposed to be a Jersey Jack game, and then eventually Stern managed to outbid Jersey Jack while the license originally already was confirmed with Jersey Jack, and then yes, lost uh, the license. that's correct. Yes, but again, that that did lead to a to a Star Wars game being produced by Stern. Yeah, well, if, uh, but Star Wars is not Godzilla. I can see why they would be. Doing and yeah, going the extra mile to make a Star Wars game, 
uh, regardless of what you think of that game. But um, Godzilla, they might just take that off the market just to make sure that that the, the collectors don't spend their money on a spooky game, but rather spend it on a stern game. Yeah, I guess so. It'd be nice to think that kind of thing isn't happening, but uh, we'll, we'll find out in due course. Well, it's an industry, so it is happening, and unfortunately. so. And if you're the big player in the industry, then you get to defend your yard, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Well, slightly more positive stuff from Stern as well this time. They've been uh, producing some code updates for for the the games Batman, Guardians, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and Star Wars. Right. So, and they also did go to uh, Comic Con in San Diego um, with quite um, a number of games. I think they had like uh, six games on the show floor, and then they had. Um, uh, the, the, in the Marriott, there was a special area where people could play Iron Maiden. Um, uh, Jack Danger was hosting tournaments there, and um, people who managed to put up a high score got into a, some sort of final, and they uh, gave quite a lot of prizes away. Yeah, and Stern also had a pretty impressive display at the Replay FX show alongside Pinberg. Uh, the Pinball Tournament um, with a, a very nice looking stand um, with a, a sort of wire forms and sort of pop bumpers and uh, it was no, it uh, really stood out I think amongst the, you know, even with a show with that many pinball machines and video games set up Stern made a, 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 a big impression I think. Yeah, well good for them so the, um, obviously they have learned over the years how to make a big impression at shows um, I think we've seen the um, the setup that they used at Pinburg, I think that's sort of like the same booth that they have been using at uh, Amusement Expo as well and some, some other shows. But usually at the pinball shows, they don't use that booth because they team up with Marco Specialties and they sort of organize yes. everything. So. But, uh, but it's nice to see that they uh, moved that booth to um, um, Pinburg and uh, Replay Effects. And speaking of which, congratulations to... Stern pinball designer Keith Elwin for winning Pinburg. Yeah, an amazing display in the final there. Um, a well-deserved well, well victory, I would say. Right. He was uh, consistent through through the, the tournament, and uh, uh, and that carried on into the final. So it was, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's hardly a surprise when when Keith wins um, a major tournament like that, but uh, but still uh, still gratifying to see that. Uh, that he's uh, maintaining his high level of pinball play despite uh, having holding out a full-time job in the in the business. Right. So now um, I'm I'm just happy for him that he uh, that he's still uh, on a consistent role as a player. And um, congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on to a, a different company, then um, you, I think you got some news uh, from your side of the. Uh, I say the North Sea from me and the Atlantic from some of the other p listeners to this uh, podcast. Right. Um, Dutch pinball, um, some some happenings over there. Well, I'm not sure whether there's something happening. Uh, um, basically, they, they sent out a newsletter, and I think first um, I don't have it in front of me, but first part of the newsletter was that um, uh, their lawyers are going on holiday until the end of August. So so much for ha things happening <laughs> because that basically means that they're not, there's not happening anything uh, since basically we're waiting for 
lawyers to talk to each other. But the reason why they mentioned was that they apparently wrote a defense of over 140 pages. Um, and as a result, the, uh, the lawyer of their former contract manufacturer, ARA, um, uh, suggested to meet after their holiday um, to, uh, to discuss whether there is some settlement possible, uh, something like that. Um, now, some people got um, enthusiastic, and I think even Dutch people themselves sort of hinted that it, there might be a possibility that ARA might be willing to start production again. I seriously have my doubts about that. I just think ARA wants to, to, to get rid of the parts that they have in stock and move on and never look back. But I don't see them turning 180 degrees and uh, all of a sudden becoming uh, their favorite new contract manufacturer and sure, oh, we're building all the games. So um, the other thing that was in the same newsletter is basically uh, Dutch Pinball announced that they are not able to refund uh, uh, anybody who already paid in full because they are basically low on financials. Um, and if you know, well, knowing that, then you might wonder like, okay, so what's going to happen next? They're not going to spend all their money on a lawyer, I guess, even though they might have a strong case, but still. Um, and even if their former contract manufacturer wants to uh, uh, settle... Um, even if they settle with where they are just giving back the parts to Dutch Pinball and then they still need to be assembled and there's no money. So we're still looking at a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they did try to to do this, um, was it a GoFundMe campaign? Well, actually there wasn't Dutch Pinball. That was initiated no. by people who are uh, a couple of early achievers, as they call them, people who are... Uh, paid in full uh, on the pre-order model um, who wanted to support Dutch Pinball. The so-called Seattle 7. Yes, which has nothing to do with people from Seattle. No. Um, and uh, basically, they, they, so they started this campaign. Um, I mentioned last month in our podcast that um, I knew that was coming up and I didn't think that they thought it through very much. And um, basically what happened is the whole thing got shut down on pinball massively. And uh, after three or four days, um, the, basically the GoFundMe campaign was cancelled. I think some people got a refund. Um, they only collected like $750 of the half million that they were looking for. And even a half a million was like a number that I don't think is sufficient enough to save Dutch pinball at the moment. No, I'm sure that um, it would take quite a lot more than that to get... get. Um, I mean, is it, the, the whole campaign was really just to, to pay for lawyers, wasn't it? Well, that uh, was the idea, but still, I was missing all the... There was nothing to it to say like, oh, yes, sure, I want to support this. There was a lack of back information uh, or information for people who want to know uh, uh, what's going on exactly. And yeah, it was a very, very poorly written and poorly described uh, campaign in the first place, right. and so, um, uh, with, with no, 
no clear goals um, and no no clear definition of exactly how the money would be spent or I don't know. It just it seemed like a non-starter to me, and uh, as you say, it, it didn't last long. Right. So now the interesting thing is, um, I still believe that Dutch pinball might be able to pull it off, but they will need either a bank loan or an investor stepping in or something. But I did some math based on. Uh, numbers that are completely taken out of thin air, but based on that, I still say yes, this can work. The game is good, and the demand for the game is certainly there, but they need to go into production to make money. You can't survive as a company just by sitting with your arms crossed and um, uh, waiting for lawyers to talk to each other, as is has been the case. Obviously, they have been doing their homework in the sense that they wrote a defense for themselves in which they probably um, put all their cards on the table in which they uh, showed the, 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 the lawyers of ARA, look, this is all the documentation that we saved over the years. We can prove you're wrong on this, on this, on this, on this, on this, on this. And hopefully, possibly, the ARA lawyers realized like, okay, if we take this to court, then we might have a very bad case and they might end up winning. So that's why they might want to meet like, okay, let's not go get this far. But then the question is how much losses are willing to take in order not to, in order to just walk away from the whole thing and leave Dutch pinball to figure it out themselves. Because that's, I think what, what will happen in the end. And then the question is, can Dutch pinball figure it out themselves? Because then they still need a big uh, money injection, so to speak, in order to get production going. And the th based on the math that I did, you can't, uh, it would be very optimistic to think like, oh, we're going to start producing 50 games and with the money that we make on 50 games, we can then build uh, 75 games and then we can build 100. No, it's not working like that because if you're going to manufacture games in China, the Chinese will say, you order parts for 500 games or else we're not even talking to you, or the parts get so incredibly expensive that your the whole math doesn't add up anymore and it's basically not worth it to building 50 games because they become too expensive in the first place. Yeah, that sounds reasonable, but uh, it, it, it does seem that, so, that thus far, uh, ARA's strategy has been to, to bankrupt Dutch Pinball um, by protracting it, the whole thing, and using up all all resources that Dutch Pinball might have on lawyers and legal fees uh, to the point where they're not actually able to produce the game with Zytec because they haven't got the... Uh, that Zytec want the money up front in order to build the games. Uh, I'm sure they're not willing to go on this, um, you know, we'll, we'll sell two new ones and we make one old one policy uh, for a long time without getting the orders up front. So... Uh, I, I don't know. It's well, interesting even, that Ara are, are interested in talking. You think they just just wait for for Dutch to run out of money? Well, the thing is, even if Cytec would be willing to start making games, they would be saying like, "Okay, but we're going to have to order parts for five hundred games. Who is going to pay for those?" Mm. Because they aren't. They are a contract manufacturer. They're not a, a financer. Mm, that's right. Know? So. 
even if Dutch, if Dutch Pinball wants to go into production, basically they need to find the funds to order the parts for the games that they want to be building. Even if Ara would give back all the parts and say like, take this crap away from us and you figure it out yourself, they would have to find someone to put it together and they don't have the money to do that anymore. So they will need a financial injection uh, of some sort. Um, the good news is, if you have the money to invest in Dutch Pinball, there's money to be made because they have a hit game on their hands and as soon as they start, are able to start producing the games, finally, um, they will sell. I'm very confident of that. So there is a big opportunity for people who would love to invest, but as long as the whole ARA court case thing is still going on, nobody is going to. Mm, I think that's, that's true, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, so nothing happening there until the end of end of this month now, right? So maybe maybe at the, uh, in the next next month's podcast we might have a little update on that or a little uh, inkling of exactly how that that meeting went. Right. Well, the question still is: even once that meeting happens, um, at the current pace, I think the lawyers of Ara and Dutch Pimble are talking to each other like every six weeks. So even if they have a meeting. <coughs> Um, most likely what will happen is they will confirm that they had a meeting and then you won't hear something for a couple of weeks because they need to discuss internally what are we going to do. Um, so you might not hear something for six months and then it's like, okay, we heard back and we got an offer and we said no. That's mm. most okay. likely what, what we're looking at. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but chances are one of the parties is not going to agree with the others. And especially if Dutch Pimble is very confident that they are, uh, that they have a strong case, um, but no money, then if they would go to court and court would um, rule in their favor, then what would they end up with? That's the question. Because if the court says, yes, you got screwed by this contract manufacturer and they have to reimburse you for all the um, uh, bad street credibility that you got from their behavior, yada, 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 yada. I still don't think they're going to make millions on that because it's the Netherlands, it's not America. Mm. Um, so they, then the, the question still remains, even if they win in court, what do they win aside from it being a, a matter of principle and still you have no money? Yeah, and that's even assuming they can afford to go to court in the first place. Well, that's yeah another thing. But okay, if a court a court might rule in their favor, but it could take years, and that takes money. And well, then you're playing right up Ara's uh, strategy, like you said, to just bankrupt yeah. them. I say, yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll hang far on that and uh, see what happens. Um, so we mentioned earlier about code updates for, for games, um, but also some new color DMD titles have been, been released yes. or at least announced. Um, do you want to tell us about those? Last Action Hero, I think, has been released by now and announced has been Slugfest, which is a uh, pinball a pitch and bet game. Yeah, a bit of a surprise, that one. It's the first non-pinball title Color DMD have done, isn't it? Um, yeah, but it is a game designed by Mark Ritchie, and you can read all about it in Pinball <laughs> Magazine number four. 
Um, Mark Ritchie actually did two pitch and bat games uh, while he was designing for uh, Williams. Um, and the second one, he probably went um, as far as he could go with a designer. And it was, at that time, the first game with a dot matrix to uh, even, uh, uh, well, come out of uh, Williams, uh, even before uh, Gilligan's Island, which was the first pinball with a dot matrix. Uh -huh. So, uh, historically significant, then. Yes. And... Um, mm. Oh well, but uh, but one of one of them one of the one of the later games to get to color DMD. Um, I guess not that many of them around. Uh, well, the funny thing uh, is, um, most of the American shows where I go to, um, there's always a slugfest somewhere. So the game uh, um, is still around, you know, and uh, people have it, and um, so there might be a, a, a small market for people who want to upgrade that game. Mm, it'll be interesting to see it then. Hopefully, next time you you see it at a show, it'll have a color DMD in it, and we can uh, we can uh, draw our own conclusions as to, as to how good that looks. Right. Okay. And then we have one final topic to discuss. Yeah, which is um, a very recent announcement by uh, Tim Arnold from the Pinball Hall of Fame. Yeah, done in a, in a typically Tim way, which um, got picked up by a few news outlets. Um, who got kind of the wrong end of the stick after only reading the first line of his announcement uh, and then sort of, sort of launched off and saying the, the Pinball Hall of Fame is going to close, which was is their headline, um, right. which was also Tim's headline, but... He followed, followed with... Um, re, uh, announcing it's closing because it's moving to a, to a brand new location actually on the Las Vegas Strip um, just um, with a, a plot which they have just recently purchased. Uh, it doesn't actually have a building on it yet, so they've got to build the, the new home, but they have bought this, um, this long strip of land um, to the, I think it's the south end of the strip. Right. Um, just beyond Mandalay Bay um, and just before the world's largest Harley-Davidson franchise um, and very close to the sign, that the kind of the iconic sign, the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, which everybody seems to want to stop and take pictures of. Yeah, but that's so, really out of Las Vegas. That's, that's like you're still on the freeway almost there. Uh, kind of, yeah. There certainly is a central uh, median there where... Um, with trees and things, so uh, it's it's not it won't be visible entirely in in one direction. So they're going to need to get a big sign put up um, to to show it is the Pinball Hall of Fame. Right. So uh, it'll draw people in, but it is it is right. It just backs onto the airport there, and um, you know it should be a lot more accessible than the current location on Tropicana, which is uh, Tim says is uh, three point two miles from the strip right and uh, he sees that as something which deters a lot of uh, potential visitors to uh, the hall of fame well, actually I think made an interesting uh, comparison saying that the cab ride that people the money that people pay for a cab ride is probably more than they spend inside the pinball hall of fame because all the games are on a quarter or at least most yeah. of the uh, most of well the, the older games are yeah. certainly yes um, yeah, uh, and he does say that uh, you know the reduced fares from Uber and uh, companies like that have have helped 
getting people in at a more reasonable price. But still, you know, if you know something three over three miles away from the strip and a lot of people, I would guess, who are potential visitors there just don't really want to go that far from the strip. They just sort of go up and down and go to the, the casinos there and the restaurants and uh, marvel at the uh, the, the uh, various attractions on there. And if you suggest to someone they need to go or get a taxi ride or uh, hop on a bus and take a long ride uh, to get to the Pinball Hall of Fame, they'll uh, they'll opt to do something more locally instead. Right. So yeah, this is a good move for him. So, and, but is it still uh, walking distance from the strip? That's the that's the big question because I know where the sign is, and that's not a, a place where you would walk up from the strip because that's just too far. Well, I guess people do go to the uh, the Harley Davidson dealership down there, which apparently earns more money from merchandise sales than it does from uh, from bike sales. Right. So that's that's a, a very popular attraction. So I guess if they're going that far, then no. Uh, that they will pass the Pinball Hall of Fame right. on the on the, well, like on the said, way. A bit a big sign will be needed because what you don't want is people driving out of town like, oh right, there was the Pinball Hall of Fame. We should have gone to that, and then oh well, now we're on our way out. Yeah, an interesting little tie-in actually. I was I was thinking of earlier with um, Harley Davidson um, because that was one of the companies that um, that that Dave Peterson, the Peterson Hegarty company. Um, helped turn around earlier on before they got involved in Stern Pinball. Right. And uh, that was where Dave Peterson sort of learned the business of um, financial restructuring. Right. And uh, to be to continue on that, um, at inside at Stern, in, or internally at Stern, they still refer to the Harley-Davidson model for their own uh, games. Um, the, the, there's a big similarity... And they are really applying that. I talked to uh, Gary Stern, was it last month, this month? I'm not even sure anymore. Um, no, it was this month. Um, Gary Stern and Doc Score, who recently uh, switched from Chicago Gaming to Stern Pinball, um, mm-hmm. did a European trip to introduce uh, Doc Score to uh, Stern's distributors here in Europe. Um, yeah. As Gary is... Um, stepping down a little bit and he wants to travel less internationally and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I was able to do an interview with Gary Stern, um, which will be published in Pinball Magazine number five. And um, in that interview, he uh, referenced a couple of times the Harley-Davidson model as the three-legged stool, as we all know it. But even for Harley, it's like, okay... You got your um, professional uh, uh, users, you got your rec room uh, users, and there's the collectors. So in that sense, Stern is applying the same model, and it <coughs> sorry, it's working out for them um, pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so just a little uh, little um, tie in there with Harley Davidson. Of course, there's a Harley Davidson pin, so you can imagine several. Um, the the uh, Hall of Fame might might sort of uh, go knocking on the Harley Davidson dealership's door and say, "Oh, by the way, we've got all these Harley Davidson pins here. You might be interested in." Right. And they could do a kind of tie up and uh, to put you know machines donated by the Pimple Hall of Fame just up the street. You know, and maybe get some of that traffic as well. So now I'm curious. Um, 
I read the whole thing, but I didn't understand most. Uh, well, I understood most of it, but there's a fundraiser going on. There is a fundraiser because um, although the uh, the Hall of Fame, the Las Vegas Pinball Collectors Club, who who run it, um, have built up a sizable cash. Um, account from their uh, running of the Hall of Fame as it is now, um, they, that wasn't enough to actually um, buy the, the plot of land outright. They needed a, a bridging loan of, a, of around about a million dollars. And that obviously attracts interest all the time it exists. So um, they need to, need to pay that down as quickly as possible so they're not paying not paying the, the uh, money on interest anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they obviously need to start building up a fund to to build the building on the new plot uh, because at the moment there's nothing there and that could, that will probably take, you know, two million to build the, the home that they want. Um, and, of course, in the meantime, they, they need to keep the existing place running so it's not like they can sell that straight away and get the money to build the new building because they need to have t- two buildings running for a while, while they do the transition mm-hmm. from uh, Tropicana to the Strip, and then once they've done that, they can sell the uh, the, the current location and use that to pay off um, the cost of the, the new building. Right. So that's why they're doing this um, this fundraiser of uh, selling memberships to the um, Las Vegas Pinball Collector Club uh, for for varying amounts and getting varying rewards for doing that. But um, the key thing is to to support um, the the, uh, the Pinball Hall of Fame in their move to a new, bigger, um, and it will be um, three, at least three times the size of their current location. Wow. Um, yeah, their new home. Um, I think they've probably got the machines to go in there, exactly how they're going to deal with the maintenance issues. Well, that's uh, the, the, the key thing, because a lot of people who have been to the Pinball Hall of Fame, and no disrespect to Tim Arnold, but a lot of people are complaining, okay, so I play this uh, EM game for 25 cents, but the flippers are weak, or this, or that's not working. or And that's, you know... If you're working with volunteers like uh, like Tim is, then you obviously don't get trained uh, pinball technicians. So you can train people maybe to, to do some of the easy tasks, but you really need games to be playing in good condition. And the problem with pinball machines is, even if you have them working in good condition today, that doesn't mean that they will be playing in good condition next week. No, because... Um a place that size and with a higher profile uh, location is going to attract more visitors. That's the, the whole point of, of the move. So, yes, the games, are, especially the more popular games, are going to get played even more than they are now. Right. So I think a, a, a serious rethink about exactly how they deal with that and how they run the place um, is probably well overdue. Uh, they've done an amazing job to get to this point, but... This, this is a, a significantly different operation if it's three times the size. Right. Well, currently they have like 200 games in uh, at the Tropicana uh, address right now. Um, and that's already difficult enough to maintain technically. I mean, um, I remember talking to Tim a couple of years ago where he's basically complaining how much time it takes him to empty the uh, cash boxes from all the games. Um that takes up so much of his time and he can't do any repairs during that time. 
but he doesn't trust anybody else to do it because he's afraid that they might run with the quarters. So, yeah, that's what I mean. It needs a, a bit a real rethink about about how the place is run when you're dealing with that volume of uh, customers and and cash flow. Right. I do have to say I'm always surprised, even if you go on a Tuesday morning to the Pinball Hall of Fame. Um, there's still 40, 50 people in there any time it's open. And <laughs> that, seriously, that, that, that's just amazing to me. I mean, they hardly don't do, they, hardly any advertising or whatsoever, just, just big one yellow sign, Pimble Hall of Fame, and people manage to find it. And it's and, and 30, 40 people in there any time of day, and that's impressive. I mean... It is. There's, there's certainly a um, a dedicated hardcore of, of people who are there all the time. I went there you know, several times on my last trip, and I did see some of the same faces day in, day out. So it seems like uh, people have a kind of routine almost that, you know, get up, have breakfast, have a coffee, go to the Hall of Fame, and then do whatever else they're going to do, whether right. they go to work or on vacation and they go to other attractions. Well, the, the, but, uh, I do have to say, uh, um, the Pinball Hall of Fame is probably the cheapest amusement you will find in Las Vegas. Yeah, and, true. And, and probably, if you're into pinball, probably also the most fun. Um, but So with the new location being like uh, three times the, the size of the current one, I don't think, or and I certainly don't hope that Queen is intending. To, uh, Tim is intending to put their six hundred games because that would be like, it would be insane in a good and a bad way. Because try maintaining six hundred games. That's going to drive you crazy. Well, there's no point moving to a bigger location unless you can put more machines in there. Sure, but six hundred would be like. Well, yeah, five hundred maybe. You know, it's going to be three times the size, unless they're going to start doing other things or you know subletting. Some of the some of the space out to other companies um, to get some income that way, or maybe you know doing sort of you know lectures and um, training areas and that kind of thing, or business in events there. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could have obviously you could have a sort of corporate area or party area where you put a selection of games in there, maybe duplicates that you have, uh, which could be hired out, um, which would otherwise not be on the floor because they wouldn't have two of the same games. On the floor, but uh, if they put them in a in a, in a different room uh, with dedicated access, uh, then yeah, that could be a good fundraiser too. Right. So, well, I do wish anyway, um, yeah. Tim best yeah, of good luck, luck and uh, do support uh, his fundraiser because um, I would love to see this happen and uh, get them to move to this new location and preferably without a large uh, depth that that keeps increasing because of the interest. So please do support um, this initiative. Um, yeah, details of the fundraiser are on uh, Tim's Facebook post uh, for the Pinball Hall of Fame and also on the story for uh, on Pinball News site, uh, which, which gives the details of the fundraiser too, as well as uh, some history of the Pinball Hall of Fame's locations. Right. So I guess that's the, uh, this wraps up uh, our summary for uh, July 2018. Um, any specific highlights coming up this month? 
Ooh, now yeah, put me on the spot there. Um, this month being August, um, we got the UK well, Pin Fest. Some shows, yes. I say some shows coming up. UK Pin Fest, where Home Pin will be there. Mike will be there as well, um, showing uh, Thunderbirds game and doing us doing a. Uh, seminar all about it as well which will be streamed live um, details will appear on the uh, UK Pinfest website um, and also um, Dennis will be there as well with his uh, Kill Bill game and he'll be doing a talk about exactly how he and uh, the others uh, in his team uh, made that game from a uh, World Cup Soccer Excellent. Um, other than that I'm sure there are other shows uh, I should look at the diary on Pinball News and uh, to confirm it all, but um, other than that, we're not expecting... Are we expecting any announcements? Yeah, I think maybe we are expecting a, an announcement from Stern Pinball this month. Actually, um, yeah, people have been speculating. Uh, we might see the reveal or the announcement for Deadpool. Yes, that's what everybody's expecting. Um, and so far, most of these uh, expectations have turned out to be right. Um, so if, if that is indeed the case, then Deadpool, the George Gomez design... Uh, will be announced at some point during August. Right, I don't see it. Well, the thing is this. Um, CERN obviously have a winner on their hand with Iron Maiden, so um, as long as they are cranking out Iron Maidens and selling them, there's not really a need for them to start production on Deadpool. No, absolutely not, but uh, they do, I'm sure they have a schedule that they want to want to hit. Um, if they're doing a couple of reveals at Pinball Expo in October, they need to give some breathing space between announcements. Right. So they don't want to announce Deadpool in like September and then then a, a month later announce two more titles. Well, because that won't give Deadpool much of a much of a well, day of the, in the sun. One of the things that um, sort of got confirmed by Joe Kamenko in a, I think I think it was a head to head. Pinball uh, podcast is that one of the Kapow titles that was originally scheduled to be released at Expo is now scheduled for January, and that would be Beatles. So at Expo, CERN is only going to reveal one new game, Monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so Deadpool and Monsters might still be close together, and even who knows? Stern might even say, like, hey, if we're selling this many Iron Maidens, let, let's just keep on selling them and we'll do Deadpool at Expo and we move Monsters to January and Beatles can wait. Well, I doubt that, but in theory, they could. I mean, who knows? Yeah, true. Yeah, they, they do have that, that uh, flexibility in their, in their production. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it could mean they end up with other designers you know, or designers on other teams and... Uh, other team members as well, you know, right. not. I am um, pretty confident sitting that there twiddling their thumbs, wondering what what they're going to do next when their when their title, which they finished ages ago, is still not well, uh, on the line. Usually, extra time for designers is usually a good thing, especially for the programmers involved, because I think, yeah, that's that especially what what happened with Iron Maiden is hopefully the model of the future for Stern Pimble in the sense that they they present a game that is within a couple of weeks after being announced already at uh, uh, Software Code 1.0 and not waiting two years to be completed, but uh, and immediately shipping the game. They announced the game and shipping within a week. Um, yep, that's how Stern roll, and that's how, how other companies... Uh, 
uh, trying to trying to uh, emulate as far as their production titles go um, with varying degrees of success. But uh, yeah, announce a game and take orders and um, and ship them within within the week or or uh, very soon after. Yeah, right. that's, uh, but anyway, um, that's that's what we're looking forward to in uh, this month. Right. So um, I'm trying to think. I can't I, think of anything else. Well, I know that um, Jack Danger did stream uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, from the Spooky headquarters, and there was also a stream of cosmic kart racing. I think it was on the uh, Buffalo Pinball um, streaming channel. Um, but there's not much news to report on that, other than that those games are um, in production. Um, Jerry Stellenberg did announce that the, all orders have been fulfilled for um, the uh, uh, P3 which means that uh, it's a good thing. Um, not sure whether that also means that they don't have any orders to fulfill, uh, whether that's a good sign. Mm. Yes, I was wondering that as well. Does that mean that, uh, that they're not actually making any more then at the moment? That could be. Um, to be honest, I haven't been that well informed, so that's something that we might have to cut back to uh, next week. Uh, next month, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we did say we're going to wrap this up fairly quickly, so let's do that. Um, thank you very much for listening to this combined Pinball Magazine and Pinball News monthly update podcast. Um, I'll wish you um, all the best and, and until the next time, and I'll give the closing words over to Jonathan. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, always a pleasure doing this podcast with you. Um, both of us will be attending the UK Pin Fest um, later this month. So uh, in case you happen to be over there, uh, do come say hi. Uh, we'll both be there. And um, if uh, else... Who knows, we might run into each other at another show and then we look forward to seeing you there. So until then, thank you and bye-bye. And goodbye.